You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, I want to welcome you to part one in our series on James. James. So if you want to be turning there as I'm setting you up for what we're going to be diving into. In our introduction, our lead pastor laid the groundwork uh, for James. And if you did not get to hear Tim on the first session, I mean, you have to go hear it. It was some of the best I've ever heard. So just really, really good. I have a lot of pressure on me tonight. <clears throat> In part one, we're going to be looking at James chapter one, verse two through 12. So these are the passages. So go ahead and turn there. And we're just going to read these together. James chapter one, Verse 2 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Can I have an amen? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask... Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. And in the same way, the rich will fade with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. You know, to test the genuineness of a diamond, jewelers will take a diamond and they will submerge it into water, which causes the diamond to sparkle with brilliance. They'll do the same thing with an imitation stone. If you take an imitation diamond and you drop it in water, it won't sparkle like a real diamond diamond. And as a matter of fact, when you, when you place the two stones side by side, you place an imitation and you place a real diamond, even an untrained eye can spot the fake. It can see the one that's not genuine. And so in a similar way, even the world can notice unsaved people that we are around, you know, throughout the week. Even unsaved people can easily tell the difference between a genuine Christian and those who just merely profess that they're a Christian. You know, I've met lots of people in my lifetime that were genuine Christians. I knew they were. I could look at them and I could see it all over them. They sparkled with brilliance. You could see the Lord on them. But I've met a lot of people who claim to be a Christian. They claim to be the genuine thing and they weren't. Many people boast great confidence in their faith until it is severely tested 
by hardships and trials. And this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. How we handle trouble will reveal whether our faith is living or dead, genuine or imitation. Now, Jesus talked about this. As a matter of fact, go to Luke, and we're going to look at a a few verses. Luke chapter 8, Jesus shared a parable with us, and it's just all about this. Clearly defining to us what a real faith looks like and what a imitation faith looks like, what a saving faith looks like, and what a non-saving faith looks like. So in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, we all know the story about the seed that falls on different types of soil. And I'm not really here to discuss that part. I I just want to emphasize a couple of things right here. So start with verse 13. The seed falling on the gravel represents those who initially respond to the word with joy, but soon afterward, when a season of harassment of the enemy and difficulty come to them, They wither and fall away, for they have no root in the truth, and their faith is temporary. The seed that falls into the weeds represents the hearts of those who hear the word, but their growth is quickly choked out by their own anxious cares, the riches of this world, and the fleeting pleasures of this life. This is why they never become mature and fruitful. The seed that fell on good soil, fertile, represents those lovers of truth who hear it deep within their hearts. They respond by clinging to the word, keeping it dear as they endure all things in faith. This is the seed that will one day bear much fruit in their lives. Wow. I mean, was Jesus not the master teacher, how he was able to take seeds and soil and explain our faith? Everyone who lives in this world is going to endure some measure of trouble. Jesus made that very clear. As a matter of fact, that was what the whole parable was about, was the different types of things that you face in life. We're all going to experience trouble. That's the consequence of the fall, the natural result of sin and human nature and society that's corrupted by iniquity. I mean, we're all going to face trouble. God's kids are not exempt from trouble. And if you're taking notes tonight, you need to write that down. Because I've had people tell me that they were. And then when it comes, you're highly disappointed, and you think that you've done something wrong because you thought when you got saved that it was supposed to get easier, but really when you got saved, it got harder. And so you get really confused because you thought, man, when I, there, I come to Christ... You know, it's the sweet by and by, man. It's, it's roses and tulips, and, and that's just simply not the case. Jesus assured his disciples that in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. And of course, if you read any of the Apostle Paul's writings, Paul really talks a lot about the suffering that he endured. Paul said he was afflicted in every way. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. So Paul, Paul wasn't shy about talking about the things that he faced. James's major emphasis in this passage, and really in the entire letter that we're going to be looking at in this series, is that if a person's faith is genuine, then it will prove itself in times of trouble. 
whatever the trouble may be, your faith will prove itself, if it's genuine, it will prove itself when you go through something really difficult. Now, it's important for all of us to recognize that faith that is reliable, it's only reliable. Let me put it to you this way. If you go through hard times and your faith fails, then what good is that faith? That's not a saving faith. It's a worthless faith, right? As a matter of fact, it's, it's worth less than worthless because it's deceptive. Because you're believing in something that won't see you through. You can't, you can't trust it. So James shows us that when faith is an empty profession, oh, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I'm saved. I'm a disciple. I, you know, I gave my heart to Christ. Or it's sentiment based on feelings. You know, we came down to the altar and, you know, we cried and we were emotional and, and, and we had a moment, but then we go out and then, and then troubles hit if we don't stand firm during that time, that just means that was just sentiment. It was just overactive emotions because the fire of trouble will burn up a faith that is not genuine. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you're going to. It's just a matter of time. It just, it's just a matter of how long uh, you live your life. Now, this is not to discourage you tonight, because like, wow, man, Paul's talking about all this trouble. Well, we're going to see there is a purpose and a point behind it all. And this is what makes it so exciting. And this why it says, count it all what? Help me. Joy. Okay, so we're going to unpack this here just a little bit. See, when you have true faith, affliction that comes in your life is going to naturally lead you to deeper thoughts on your heart's true condition. It makes you look at yourself. It makes you focus on the condition of your heart, which in turn causes you to seek God in prayer, and you experience more grace, you experience more strength, and you experience more joy. As a matter of fact, when we look at these passages, it's talking about trials. Trials that we all face, that we all go through in life. And I, I want to talk about seven purposes to trials. And we're not going to go into like deep detail of these, but I just feel like it's really important that we recognize there's a purpose to trials. There's good things that come from trials. So seven purposes of trials. Number one, trials test the strength of our faith. They test the strength of our faith. In other words, when you go through a trial... You can take inventory of your strengths and you can take inventory of your weaknesses. You can recognize where, man, I did really good here. I responded in a good way here. I kept a good attitude here. Or you can look over here and go, wow, man, I'm, I'm becoming resentful. I'm becoming bitter. I'm having a pity party. Well, see, that exposes weak faith. But if you go through a trial and it's like, I'm going to keep my eyes on God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to trust him through the heart. That exposes strong faith in your life. See, a person who turns more and more to the Lord as trouble gets worse clearly demonstrates that his faith is strong. See, this is the goal, you guys at at Teen Challenge. For me, when I first started walking with the Lord, my faith was very immature. 
It was childlike faith. And so when I faced just a little bit of adversity, I mean, I would fold like a cheap tent. I would get frustrated. I was just too hard. I'd give up. I'd just throw in the towel and I'd go back to living in the world. The Bible says in Proverbs, if you, if you fell in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. And so what God wants to do through our trials is he wants to grow us so that we can face the things that bring us through. So trials test the strength of our faith. Number two, trials are given to humble us. They humble us. Trials remind us not to let our trust in the Lord turn into presumption. Well, God would never let anything bad happen to me. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver us from them all. I can think of many times in the Bible where God's men and women went through hardships. They went through lion's dens and they faced the sword and they faced persecution and they were thrown into a fiery furnace and thrown into a pit and all kinds of things happened to the men and women of God. See, trials remind us not to let our trust in the Lord turn into presumption and spiritual satisfaction. The fact is, the greater our blessing in life, the more we're blessed, the more Satan will tempt us to look at our own accomplishments rather than what God did for us. You know, or, or it's my rightful due. You know, I, I earned this. I've been a good boy this month, you know. I've been a good girl this month. I earned this. And what happens is, is you become proud instead of humble. Trials humble us. See, when you experience a trial and you miss the mark, it's humbling. Have y'all ever had that happen to you? You know, you go through something and, and you didn't come out on top. It's a very humbling experience. But that, that's not, a, I don't turn that into a negative for me. I turn that into, number one, a moment to repent, and number two, a moment to say, God, thank you for your grace and your strength. Thank you that you still love me. Thank you that you're in my corner. Thank you that you're on my side. So see, in that humbled state, we can see God more clearly. We can appreciate God's grace. We can appreciate God's goodness. We can appreciate God's help. Number three, the third purpose to trials God allows us to suffer trials to wean us from the dependence of worldly things. Now, this is so important. I was talking to Tasha in the back, and I said, you know, it's really crazy to think about this, and I, you know, I don't know if y'all think about things like this, but sometimes I think about stuff like this. I said, "It's, it's crazy to think about that at some point in time, this huge, massive building that we're in, and all these buildings on this campus, and all these people won't be here anymore. Now, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but you watch the rise and fall of nations. I mean, who would have ever thought that the Babylon would not be here, or Rome would not be here, or, or the Persians would not be here, or the Assyrians would not. I mean, these were huge empires. And to think about the fact that all that we see right here, one day won't be here. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. But see, the more we accumulate in life, the more we experience and, and the recognition, the more, the more we're tempted to rely on those things instead of the Lord. 
And that's a major mistake for us because the enemy will use that to set us up for a fall. Uh, Educational achievements, work success, important people, honors may be given. I mean, and, you know, these things aren't necessarily wrong with and and of themselves. I mean, I think it's great that you strive to do greater things and make achievements and get a good college education and work your way up in business, you know, by giving yourself to what you're doing. Those are all good things, not wrong in themselves, but it can easily become the focus of our life and the concern of our life and the basis of our trust. And so we start trusting in our ability and our talents and what we've accomplished and the money that we have and our stuff and the positions that we've achieved. And like I said, nothing in this life is permanent. Everything in this life is temporary. So to put your trust in something that is temporary is to set yourself up for a fall. God wants us to be secure. He wants our roots to go deep. And so trials, oftentimes, you know, they wean us from our dependence on worldly things. Number four, trials call us to an eternal and heavenly hope. Trials call us to an eternal and heavenly hope. You know, the harder our trials become and the longer they last, the more we look forward to our time with the Lord in heaven. You know, I used to... uh, hear older people say, man, I'm ready to go see Jesus today. And, and, you know, I remember hearing that when I was, and probably some of you guys that are older know what I'm talking about, and you guys that are younger have probably heard older people say, man, I'm, I'm ready to go see Jesus. I'm ready to go. And I've been by people's bedsides, you know, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to be by people right before they, they passed on into eternity. And I'm telling you, I can count many times that people told me, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. And I used to think to myself when I was younger, well, I'm ready to go be with the Lord and all, but not today. <laughs> you know, give me a while. I'm not, I'm not ready to go anytime soon. But, but, you know, the older I get, the more I understand that thought process. The more I get it. Now, I'm not ready to go today, but I definitely think about it more than I did when I was 20, for sure, because of the trials and the test and the things you go through in life. The Apostle Paul shared his heart concerning trials that he faced daily. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Here's what Paul said. So no wonder we don't give up, for even though our outer person gradually wears out, Our inner being is being renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what's seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen realm is eternal. The fifth purpose of trials, trials reveal what we really love. They do. They, they reveal what we really love, what we put weight in. I'll never forget the story of Abraham. I've been reading through, you know, I took our pastor's challenge, you know, to read through the Bible in a year, and I'm, I'm over in Exodus right now, but you know, I remember reading the story about Abraham and God promising Abraham a son. 
And Abraham waited for years and years and years and years and years and years for him to finally get a son. I mean, it was a long, hard wait. A lot of ups and downs and pressing through in faith and believing God and trusting God. God even appeared to him a couple of more times during that long period and encouraged him. And then he finally got his son. And then God told him to go sacrifice him. Can you imagine what that must have been like? He believed God for years. See, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac not only proved his faith, but it also proved his supreme love for the Lord. See, that's what trials do. Trials reveal what we really love. And the fact is, church, nothing or no one Nothing or no one should be loved more by us than we love God. God should be the one that we love more than anything else. And once again, that's because all of this that we see here is all temporary. People, pets, possessions, positions, buildings, all these things will fade in time, but our faith will stand. The sixth purpose of trials... Trials develop in us an enduring strength for greater usefulness. Now, this one I have really learned personally. (laughs) Trials develop in us an enduring strength for greater usefulness. It's been said that the worth of a soldier is not known in times of peace. It's not. The worth of a soldier is not known in times of peace. And it's also been said that God gives his most difficult tasks to his most accomplished soldiers. When things are comfortable and quiet in our life, we live by sense rather than by faith. That's the way we live. Hebrews 11, 33 and 34. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. In their weakness, their faith imparted power to make them strong. As you go through trials... You've got to work at partnering with God as you endure them. And as you endure them, as you go through them and you endure them, you don't give up. You don't just quit following the Lord because it gets hard. You, you know, a, a little bit of temptation or trial comes your way. You don't just throw in the towel. You, you endure it. And as you endure it, you become a more useful soldier for God. Because as you go through that, it brings you to a higher level of greater use for the Lord. The seventh purpose to trials. God uses trials to enable us to better help others. You know, if you, if you don't go through trials, if you don't go through hard things, it's really difficult for you to have empathy and understanding for other people. You know, if you've never had anything bad happen to you for the most part, I mean, your life's been pretty easy for the most part, then when you see people that are really going through hard things, 
you don't really have a whole lot of compassion or empathy for them. Luke chapter 22, verse 32 and 33, Jesus is talking and he says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this. Now listen, listen to this. Remember this. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, so Peter's about to go through one of those mistakes, right? He's about to crash and burn. He's about to be humbled. That's what Jesus is telling him. You're going to be sifted. You're going to be shaken. And it ain't going to be easy. But here's what he says. After you have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Isn't that interesting? See, we can see how Peter's sufferings not only strengthened him for greater usefulness, but it also prepared him to strengthen others. You know, and I can clearly say in my life, that was the catalyst for my calling. I remember growing up, I didn't have a lot of help. I didn't have a lot of adults in my life. I mean, I, I floundered for years and years and years. It wasn't until almost my mid-20s that I even came to know Christ in a real way. And I didn't have a whole lot of help. And that, the fact that I didn't and the hard things that I went through, it compelled me to want to be that for other young people. I thought, why would I, why, when I can help them not go through what I went through, why wouldn't I? And so, you know, I was doing air conditioning refrigeration. That was a career path that I had chosen. I'd gone to school. I'd been doing it for a number of years before I even came to know the Lord. And I had in my mind to take on a business. As a matter of fact, it was no sooner than I enrolled into our uh, college internship that I got a call from a boss back home offering me to take over and buy his business. So I could just see the enemy, you know, once again, tempting me in a direction that God didn't want me to go. But see, we see the same with Jesus. The same happened with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through ordeals in life. So Jesus, because he went through trials and testing, just like we do, that is why he is able to empathize with you and me. He understands what we are facing. Since trials are so productive, it's essential for us to respond correctly to trials. Now let's go back to verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now I want you to notice it says consider it all joy. Consider. Think, think about that word right there. Consider. Consider. The word consider is so important here because joy is not a natural human response to trials, <laughs> right? I mean, woo! You know, none of us just say, yes, I can't wait for my next trial. Bring it on! You know, none of us, that's not our attitude. You know, it's like, oh no! <laughs> Please, Lord, just give me a break for a while, right? Just, just let me have easy sailing. I don't want any waves. Don't rock the boat, Jesus. I, you know, let me take a nap for a while, right? I mean, that's kind of the response that we all, all have. But the word consider is so important here. God is saying to us, 
not to be somewhat joyful in our trials, but to look upon them with all joy. Now, if you have immature faith, you're not even going to get what I'm talking about. And as a matter of fact, what I'm about to say, you can't teach it. You have to experience it. It's almost like me standing up here and trying to describe to someone who has never eaten an orange what an orange tastes like. Well, it, it's, it's juicy and it's tingly and it's wet and it's sweet and it's delicious. And they've never tasted one. Well, I mean, you know, I kind of did a little bit of good, but not really. What do you got to do? Bite into it. And so what, what we're looking at here, when, when James is saying, consider it all joy, it's coming from a man who has walked through what he's talking about. He didn't read it in a book. He didn't have a friend tell him. It was an experience in his own life that has become a revelation, and that revelation has literally changed this man's life, and that's why he's writing this letter. The word consider, consider, it's not, it's not talking about, you know, a little bit of joy. It's talking about all joy. Regardless of the severity or the length of the trial, God will always use them for his benefit and for our growth. God will always use them for his glory and our strengthening. That's the way God works. I think about Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 when, you know, his brothers sold him into slavery. I mean, his own brothers turned on him, threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. And one of the brothers talked him out of it. And he was going to go back later and rescue him, and he couldn't, and sold him into slavery. And here's Joseph taken into a whole other country. And man, this guy just went through all kinds of different things. But later in Joseph's life, way later in his life, when he was reunited with his brothers, here's what he said. What may have meant meant for evil against me, God meant for good. After all he had been through. See, we're not just to act joyful or in reluctant pretense, no. But we're genuinely joyful when we go through trials. <clears throat> See, it's a matter of will, not feelings. See, I learned a long time ago, my feelings are the salt and pepper of my life, but they're not the decision maker of my life. See, if you let feelings make decisions for you, boy, they'll have you, you know, you'll be at TC one day and the next day you'll leave. You know, you'll be married one day and the next day you'll be divorced. You'll love your kids one day and the next day you'll have them in a head hold. You know, I mean, it's feelings. They, feelings can't direct and guide your life. And see, here, considered all joy, it's a matter of will, not feelings. It's a conscious, determined commitment that I am going to have joy as I walk through this. And the more we rejoice in our testings, the more we realize that they're not our liabilities. They're privileges. They're literally privileges, ultimately beneficial to us and not harmful to us. No matter how destructive and painful the immediate experience might appear, God uses trials to do all kinds of good things in our lives. As I stand here tonight, I'm a much better man, a much better leader, 
because of the trials that I've gone through in my life. Not that I would want to relive any of them. Wouldn't you want to go back and repeat them? I mean, I don't want to, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a member of the suffering servant camp, but <laughs> we all will, clearly. Now, notice it says, consider it all joy when trials come, not if trials come. It's not if, it's when. They're coming. <laughs> they're coming to all of us. You know, trials are like stormy weather. They're inevitable, and they're often sudden. You just never know. One minute, everything's great, and the next minute, like today, it's sleeting. I mean, <laughs> it's sunny, and then it's not, and especially here lately with the weather that we've been having. <clears throat> the question is, will we be prepared for them when they come? I read this once, and I thought this was so good. It says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. Wow, that is such a true statement. In other words, if as a Christian we cannot rejoice in trials then our values are not godly and they're not biblical. We're not thinking the way that God would have us think. The fact is, testing of our faith can produce endurance, the Bible says. Endurance is the product or the consequence of patience. That's what patience will produce for us, endurance. Whew, boy, this... This is probably the hardest one for all of us, right? I mean, it's like patience, patience, patience. But patience is so important. People say, don't pray for patience. Well, I say pray for patience because you're going to have to wait. Whether you like it or you don't, so much of life is about waiting. So you might as well go ahead and learn and grow as a result of your waiting instead of murmuring and complaining in your waiting. See, patiently enduring trials while trusting in the Lord develops in endurance, which is a lasting quality. You earn it. You get to keep it. It's yours. Endurance is an inner quality that is produced each time a trial is patiently and trustingly endured. God wants to develop pure and undiluted faith in you. That's God's goal. And much of this is accomplished through trial. It's not accomplished any other way. And that's why this whole letter that we're going to be reading really focuses on the product of trials. And the product of trials is growth. As a matter of fact, do you want, do you want to know what the blessing for growth is? Are they reward for growth? You want to know what it is? Pruning. God rewards you when you grow by pruning you. And when he prunes you, you become what? More fruitful. More useful. More of a blessing. I want to end this session with a scripture and a poem. 
James 1 verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, 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 they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. Amy Carmichael was a missionary in India, and she wrote this poem based on her own experiences. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. Hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Let's stand. Let's give God a hand clap tonight. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to have the right attitude toward the things that we face each day. God, help us to grow and mature so that we can consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And God, help us not to put our confidence in ourselves or in what we do or in other people. But Lord, help us put our confidence in you, the everlasting Father, the great and mighty God, the strength that we need in times of testing. And Lord, remind us that through our testing, we are being matured, perfected, and made useful to serve you and to be used by you in greater ways each and every day. God, go before us this week. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 